We continue in our Sunday evening summer-long series, kind of uh, spilling over a little bit to the fall, on sharing the gospel. This series has been called Evangelism Episodes, Episodes in Evangelism in the Book of Acts. This evening, we're in chapter 20, and a message subtitled, Experiencing the Presence of God. You say, wait a minute, I thought this was about evangelism. Well, it is. But it follows that if my testimony, if my witness is going to be credible, I have to be personally myself experiencing the Lord in my day-to-day life on the front end, right? Or else a lost person is going to be saying, no, wait a minute. You blow up in anger. You wring your hands fretting all the time. You're hungry for money. You lust, you are bitter. Why do I need a Savior if he hasn't helped you? You all follow the premise? And so me experiencing the presence of the Lord and you adds great credibility, veracity to the testimony that I'm going to share, the witness that I'm going to give to a lost person. And I want us to be reminded, we look at Bible characters as heroes, and uh, t- to the greatest degree, they're incredible examples, so many of them. But in our narrative, uh, in the book of Acts, these folks who were involved in this narrative were just going about their day. It wasn't like they had a crystal ball, saw into the future, and knew what God was going to do with their lives ahead of time and said to one another, oh, let's make sure that we position ourselves just like this so that the camera angle is just right and it catches us just at the... Not at all. They didn't know any of this was going to happen before it happened. And they were just living out their days experiencing the presence of God. And you want to do that, amen? And I want to do that. And so let's take a look at what it appeared uh, to be, not not appeared to be, but was, in fact, 2,000 years ago, and ask ourselves, what will experiencing the presence of God look like? What should I expect? What could I reasonably expect? And how will I know when I see it? I want to suggest five principles and then give five practical golden keys after each one of these. So first principle, second And after each one, a golden key to make it practical. This is one way, not saying it's the only way, but this is a suggested way to make this experience come alive or come more alive. Or you can be watching for this possibly in and through this passage. Acts chapter 20, um, it says on the overhead, verse uh, verse 7, but really to get the context, I want to back up one verse to verse 6. And even before that, if you'll notice, Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 20, um, Paul called unto him the disciples and departed to go into Macedonia. And then in verse 4 of chapter 20, you have a list of folks here who accompanied him, uh, and they went in verse 5 to Troas. And so that's where the story picks up. That's where the narrative picks up. Paul and his companions... A group of them, probably not an exhaustive list, are now at Troas. In verse 6, we sailed away 
from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. So they're in that town for a week. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were, there were many lights. Now, by the way, he came on the first day of the week, meaning on Sunday. It doesn't mean that was the first day after he had landed. He may have already been there. In fact, it, it appears that he had already been there for six days. He may have arrived on the, the Monday before. Are you all following that? Uh, and so this seems to be at the end of the week. In fact, uh, it seems to be Sunday afternoon or evening. He had been there uh, nearly a week already. Verse 8. Um, verse, uh, verse 7. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there was in a a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sank down with sleep, fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, that is speaking to the group because it's plural, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, that is Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. In other words, they were greatly comforted. And we went ahead to the ship and sailed unto Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for, he had, uh, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. In other words, I'm walking. You all get in the boat. And when he met with us at Assos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed from there and came the next day opposite Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at uh, Tragilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hastened, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. That's the narrative and the context, let me offer five principles about experiencing the presence of God. The first thing we see in verse 7, the very first part of verse 7 is the exaltation of God through corporate worship. You experience, you can experience the presence of God in a corporate way, in a different way. Of course you can experience the presence of God by yourself in your car. As a matter of fact, uh, in the last few days, I have been, and I got this from uh, from uh, from Rich, um, uh, from um, um, Ray. Help me, Rich, Rich Casebolt, of course. Uh, I, I I know him like my brother. He is my brother in the Lord. From Rich Casebolt, I, I received a recording of Brother Dan Smith. Anybody ever heard Dan Smith sing? You enjoy Dan Smith's uh, singing? Oh, just. I can't turn it off in the car. And I mean, when Dan Smith is singing in in my car, uh, and I'm alone in my car, guess who you're hearing? (laughs) You're hearing me. It doesn't sound nearly as good. There is worship. God is present as I am singing uh, for all my worth uh, with uh, with that particular uh, recording. The the, the CD is called uh, Defending the Faith. From Jude uh, verse 3. Oh, the songs on that are just glorious. So, 
You certainly must worship as you go in and out throughout the day in your daily activities. But there's something extra. We inhabit, he inhabits the praise of his people gathered. Um, and so that's what we see here at the beginning of verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. Now, most if not all, probably all, worship services in the first century took place in a person's home. That is, in a, an actual believer's home. We know that to be ca- the case in Philippi with Lydia. Uh, typically, it would be somebody who could maybe afford uh, or is able to have a, a larger space. It wasn't like the hundreds and hundreds were needed, not in most cases, because there were a handful of believers in any one of these pagan cities. And it wasn't until, uh, in my study, the second, uh, into the, the, the 200s, that is the third century A.D., before the first local church building was established. I didn't recognize it had, was that long, but uh, uh, church history seems to record that and report that. Uh, but up until then, they met in homes. And notice it says, for the breaking of bread. Probably, almost certainly even, this was uh, talking about observing the Lord's Supper, because verse 11 says the very same thing, but that seems to be more like sharing a meal. A love feast, which the body of Christ did all the time. In fact, um, there were uh, uh, four families over at Scott and Oxana's last night. Uh, the Myers, the Williamsons, the Bordens, and the Smiths. And we were having a meal. We weren't observing the Lord's table, but we were certainly having a, a, a body of Christ love feast. Uh, in sharing, and, and so that was so common in, uh, in the book of Acts in the first century in the early church, and it's even practiced in our day uh, today. Um, they came together to worship. Now notice, their primary meeting time, at least when they established it, was on Sunday evening. Think about that. They're in a pagan city, very few believers. Sunday meant nothing to any of the people there in their culture, so they probably all worked all that day. Uh, and they came together, they observed the Lord's table, and they preached and preached and preached. Um, it was all brand new to them. They had the Apostle Paul with them. He was only going to be with them one week, seven days, to get all of the theology that they would ever be able to get because he wasn't ever going to be back there again. And so uh, he was preaching and training and just discipling and pouring himself into these folks, and they were taking in all they could possibly get. They were not watching their clocks. Uh, They weren't worried about that at all. The members had gathered in the evening for worship, for study, for prayer, for fellowship, and now 2,000 years later, we're doing the very same thing on a regular basis all the time. Hebrews 10.25, gather together, and so much more as you see the day approaching, the return of the Lord. And so we do. So don't, don't make little, make much of experiencing pre- the presence of God um, in corporate worship. Now, let me give you a golden key. Golden key. There we go. Make corporate attendance, attentiveness, participation, application, a high priority in your life. In other words, be intentional. Now, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but there are many who are going to be watching this by way of internet and recording. It needs to be a priority. It must be a priority. We see that it was a priority in the book of Acts in the first century. Throughout church history, there's never been a time where God's people thrived 
as solo agents, as secret agents for Christ. No, the body came together. If your arm was just off doing its own thing, if your leg was just off doing its own thing wherever, by itself, independently, it's not going to do very well, and the body's not going to do very well. The body needs to be cohesive, coherent, together. So make corporate attendance, participation, all, make that a priority in your life. Uh, the late great and my good friend, uh, Brother Ray Sims, uh, Dave's father, Hannah's uh, grandfather, he and I were good friends in the last few years of his life. He was, uh, uh, Dave, how old was he when he been, went home to be with the Lord? 93, 94? 90? Yeah, I knew he was right at that, somewhere close to that. And he told me one time, maybe within a year or two of his home going, he said, and this is a quote, I, and I don't know why I wrote it down other than I, I did. I wrote it down, and this is years and years ago. He says, I may not get everything out of a time of being taught the Word of God, but I'm sure to miss everything if I lay out. <laughs> now, that is good, uh, that's good old-fashioned common sense, isn't it? That's just uh, good horse sense. <laughs> it makes good sense. I, uh, I may not participate everything. I might miss a note here. Uh, uh, the baby Nate may need to be taken out for a second. Something else might go on. But I'm sure to miss out on everything um, if I simply lay out without being providentially hindered. That's not a guilt trip. Uh, that's just practical reality. And so I need to be very much a part. These folks were a part of being together with the great Apostle Paul teaching them. Secondly, if you want to experience the presence of God, there needs to be the edification of believers through the preached word. That also must not take a back seat, be relegated to a, a matter of unimportance. And it says right here at the end of verse 7, and I'm going to take larger chunks uh, coming up of, of text. Uh, but this one verse said a lot. It says, he preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day, continued his speech until midnight. And then we see later uh, that he preached all the way to the next morning. You all never need fear that. I'm not that good. <laughs> I don't have that capacity in me to do that. Uh, uh, Dr. Chip Chase, what's the longest uh, time you've ever preached in one, in one setting? Same with me. Literally, I was going to say 90 minutes. That's, and that was when I was in Haiti. Uh, and they gathered one time a week, and they had to walk miles to get there, walk miles back home, weren't going to see one another for another week. Um, and they don't want you to bring a little three points in a poem in Haiti. You better, you better shuck corn. Uh, if you're there, the, first of all, they're going to sing for an hour and a half at the top of their lungs. And then you better preach for an hour and a half, and then they'll close out with a, a quick 45-minute song service at the end and testimonies uh, and the like. And so, uh, yeah, that, I can't do that, but the Apostle Paul did do that, and the people received it. They were edified. I'm so thankful that here at Redbridge, uh, we are not clock watchers when it comes to preaching. There are churches, and I've heard of it, and pe- people uh, come to me. And people who, men who have preached here say, Redbridge is a great preaching station, meaning you all receive the truth of God's word, and you can't preach uh, 
pastors, preachers can't preach you all under the table. I know that. I've been told that. Uh, and that's a, that's a wonderful testimony. It's just like the church at Troas who had gathered uh, and they were going to receive from the apostles. They were going to be edified through the preached word. The early church placed a high priority on the preached word. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote the decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching had declined. Not the length, that didn't matter. Not, not even the content entirely, uh, because if you're getting it from Scripture, the content's going to be true. But the priority uh, that the church places on preaching, the priority that the preacher places on it, uh, that is, uh, is he serious about it? Is he prepared? Is he passionate? And the priority that the people place on it. Now, you all know me. You know I don't take myself at all seriously, but I don't know if I could take uh, the preaching of Scripture any more seriously than I do. It is not tomfoolery to me, and I don't, I don't countenance that at all, very well at all. And so that is how it should be. This is the holy word of God, which is given to us and inspired for us uh, so that we might know, uh, so we might know doctrine, um, we might have doctrine, correction, um, and instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So thankful that we see it like that here at this church. Um, he preached to them, and he preached a long time. Here's your golden key on this. Now, I'm going from preaching to meddling, and it's this. There is as much responsibility in the pew as there is in the pulpit. We're all God's people by faith in Christ, and it's God's word, and it's authoritative. And I have a, 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 a calling and a responsibility to feed you and I, as well as a sheep, have responsibility to heed God's word. I'm going to feed it. You're to heed it. You're to listen. You're to understand it. You're to, by the way, evaluate it like the Bereans did on whether it is accurate preaching. Y'all, y'all with me on that? So it's not because I say it. Absolutely never have that view uh, uh, and I'm not. Uh, and I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not threatened. Uh, I don't think I'm threatened. I don't want to. I, I don't want to have too much bravado here. I don't think I'm threatened. If you say now, I've always understood it this way, and you seem to be presenting it this way. There have been times that I have come away saying, "Wow, that's right." As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Brother Claxton, I remember talking with your dad uh, years ago. Uh, and, and I tried to teach him all kinds of things. He, he may have learned a thing or two from me. But I sure learned something from him one time uh, because I used to believe in the incarnational sonship of Christ. And I changed after talking with him to the eternal sonship of Christ. Now, you all, some of you might not have any idea what I'm talking about on this. And it's just a little bit uh, of, a, of a difference of understanding uh, Christology. When did Christ uh, become the Son of God? You say, well, he was always the Son of God. Well, was he? Because it, he was the Logos. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God, John 1. Well, does that mean he wasn't the Son? See, I, I, I used to think it was in, he became the Son at his conception. 
Now I hold that he has eternally been the son. See, it's not a question of his deity. We're not, we're not taking on his issue of his deity. Uh, it's an issue of viewing him. And the reason why it's significant is uh, because the father didn't just give the word of God, the, to be, uh, the, the living word to take on flesh. He gave the eternal son of his love. Wow, that really opens up the love of God. Behold, what manner, what kind of otherworldly love is this that the Father would give his Son? And so uh, it's that, that's what I'm talking about when I say you have to evaluate as well. There's a responsibility for you to evaluate biblical truth as you apply it in your life. Uh, I can remember uh, uh, at least a couple of times in the collective 45 years or so that, uh, uh, that I've been married 43, uh, 44 years, saying to one of my two wives at different times, um, hearing something said and saying, now, you know, we, that's not what we believe. And a little nuance, a little something, uh, and I said, now, let me explain why I didn't say we, meaning you have to believe what I believe, uh, but why this is wrong. If she didn't particularly, that sounds very that sounds very pretentious, doesn't it? But I have a responsibility as headship uh, over the family. You all appreciate that? Amen. So you evaluate biblical uh, preaching to make sure, as the Bereans did, that what is said is true. Okay. Um, there's a lot of responsibility there as well in the pew. So hearing a sermon is not a passive proposition. It's an active proposition. Thirdly, the expectation of the miraculous through practical work. What? Oh, no. He's gone the way of everybody else in this community. He's seeing and believing and hearing about miracles and all. Well, for Paul, a miracle was not uncommon. It was a part of the work God gave him because he was an apostle. He saw the miraculous, the actual miraculous take place. In fact, 2 Timothy 12, 12 says very much that. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought, were manifest among all of you in patience, in signs, wonders, mighty deeds. They saw miracles. And they saw a miracle right here performed by someone who had the gift of miracles, the Apostle Paul, that a man is lying dead, having fallen from the third loft. He was dead, completely dead. And everyone confirmed it. And Paul said, let me come over there. He's still, he, we're gonna, he's going to have life in him. And he did. And so a miracle took place. Folks, miracles still take place. The salvation of a soul is a miracle. Let me give you a definition, a good working definition of a miracle. A miracle, MacArthur said, is an extraordinary event, out of the ordinary, wrought or manufactured by God, brought about by God, through human agency, which cannot be explained by natural forces. And so, if grandma has a heart attack at grandson's little league baseball game and a cardiologist is sitting right next to her uh, 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 and had his medical bag or her medical bag and gave what was needed or did 
CPR, that is not a miracle because that is not um, extraordinary. That is, in our day, ordinary, somewhat ordinary. And it is, can be explained by natural forces, i.e., oxygen went to the lungs, which transferred it onto the hemoglobin because the chest was being compressed, and it traveled to the cells, ergo, the body did not die until the CPR stopped or until the person revived. Was that a fair ex- explanation of that? Not bad. <laughs> that was just off the top of my head, by the way. <laughs> uh, that wasn't a miracle, but what happened here was a miracle. Now, we live uh, in the land of so-called miracles all the time, it is reported. And I want to say, and I want to challenge that if, in fact, miracles are going on, uh, uh, as some of our neighbors would suggest, and that they are going on all the time, the burden of proof is not on me as a cessationist, believing that signs and wonders have ceased. The burden of proof is not on me to prove what doesn't happen. I can't prove what isn't. The burden of proof is on those who say it is happening. And so I say, uh, and I challenge all, bring me, bring us one absolutely objectively verifiable biblical miracle. Person rising from the dead, being dead four days. By now, Lord, he stinks. He's dead. Lazarus is dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. Just one. Give me one. If whole ministries are built on signs and wonders, then there ought to be, it is not absurd of me to demand to see one bona fide, objectively verifiable, first century miracle like Paul wrought among everyone. Everyone saw it. It became notorious, all of them. And, uh, and yet, in fact, uh, it doesn't happen because those gifts have ceased. Now, the name Eutychus here means good fortune. That's an interesting uh, play on, 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 on words or uh, terms. He was either a child uh, who uh, couldn't stay up that late preaching until midnight, or the word can also mean a, a slave. He was a bond servant to someone, which means if he was, he would have worked all day, he went to an evening service. Paul had been preaching for six hours. It was midnight. The lights, the candles, the oil lamps uh, were burning. He was how high? The third loft. Hot air vapor. Hot vapor goes in what direction? Up. He, he's at the top of the room where there's not much oxygen, but there's a, a lot of carbon monoxide from the fumes from that, y'all following uh, the physiology here? It's It's a wonder that he was able to stay awake that long. So he falls asleep, he passes out, he falls down three stories, 30 feet, give or take, and is dead. So I'm not, I'm not hard on Eutychus for having fallen asleep. He gave it every effort that he could uh, I have great respect for a believer who attends a worship service when it is most difficult. And that was the case for him. Um, it's an issue of it being a priority. Meeting 
fellowshipping with the Lord uh, and seeing the miraculous. And so again, uh, the miraculous for us is God using you to change a life because I can't change someone's heart. There's today's miracle. You can't change someone's heart, but the Lord can, and he will use you as the conduit to bring that to pass. Golden key. This is really practical. Look and listen. Did I give you that quote by Wearsby? Let me give you that quote by Wearsby. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out of order here. Here's Wearsby. He said, Christians who slumber during one hour in church somehow manage to stay awake during early morning fishing trips, lengthy sporting events, concerts, late night TV specials. Uh, that's, I mean, that's observable. And so it's an issue of priority. Now, let me see if my, um, yeah, here's my golden key. Look and listen for God in the unexpected occurrences of life. Now, that's, that's pragmatic. But if you want to experience the presence of God in the, quote, miraculous, meaning he uses you in extraordinary events, Be watching for that opportunity. Literally, uh, be watching it it very well. How many providential meetings have you encountered? It's like, I told Kathy the other day, it's like I'm seeing the providence of God. I'm I'm becoming aware of the providence of God every day. Every day, it seems like. The Lord is dropping this situation in my lap or putting me in this situation. That just, I was just going through my normal activities of life. So be looking on purpose for him in the normal, everyday, yet unexpected occurrences. Paul didn't know that this was going to happen. No one else knew that it was going to happen. And yet God showed up and made a difference. Fourthly, if you want to experience the presence of God, it'll be through the enrichment of the saints in a shared walk together. And we see that in verses 11 and 12. They came together. They had broken bread and eaten. Now, this is a meal. They talked a long while. They're discussing theology. They're talking about the sermon. Our small groups are doing that. Uh, As you meet in your small groups, you're going to be discussing uh, highlights, if you will, from the message that was preached so that you can make it practical in the home Uh, among uh, one another. I mean, it's just, this is the template for what we do uh, in our small groups. And so they came together and they discussed, talked a long, even till break, talked all night. And uh, when he departed and they brought Eutychus and were greatly comforted. Uh, Their hearts were knit together. You know, uh, we, we kid about it. We may joke about it. We may, we may joke about it. Um, but um, Baptists, uh, we're about as biblical as, as uh, any uh, Bible-believing group in church history in this realm. We do love to get together and eat, don't we? <laughs> Amen? Uh, uh, bake it and they will come. <laughs> and that's, uh, I, I say that in a silly way, uh, but it absolutely was a first century practice that they came together and enjoyed a meal. God made us relational creatures. And, and so they came together 
in that way. And it's interesting, servants and masters, uh, because probably if, if Eutychus was not a small boy, uh, he was a servant. Uh, uh, a young man, it says young man, he was a servant. Uh, and yet, in the church meal, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, neither young nor old, they were one in Christ. Isn't that a glorious thing that, that we see right there? Let me give you a, a golden key about this. Your lives enriched through a shared walk together. The surest way to enjoy a life a, a full, a life full of enriching friendships is to first be a selfless friend to others. I have almost zero tolerance <clears throat> for ever hearing a report uh, from someone who's visiting this church and saying no one was friendly to me. You have as much responsibility to reach out in friendship as that guy does or that she does. Or you, it's, an equal, it's reciprocal. Of course we want everyone to be befriended. But if you're going to be, and if a person's going to be, okay, I'm going, I want friends. Come and befriend me. Well, if that's the disposition, that's not possible. And so if you want to enjoy, experience the presence of God through shared walk with other believers, then you make yourself available. You invite folks over. You arrange some kind of a get-together, a fellowship. Go out for a pie and coffee or whatever it might be. My guess is it would be all but impossible for a new person to come here with that disposition of purposing to reach out and that person be shunned by everyone. I, I can't fathom it. Well, I know it wouldn't happen because Kathy and I wouldn't do it, and we're, we're at least two people who wouldn't do that. My guess is none of you all would shun that person either. Amen? And so, yes, you be the one to take an initiative to, uh, to enjoy that shared life together. Finally, if you're going to experience the presence of God, you'll do so through evangelizing the lost with a passionate witness and you know, you see that time and time again in the book of Acts. Paul preached the entire night. He hadn't rested. They, and then they talked the rest of the, uh, until morning before he took off. He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Why? Because lost Jews were going to be gathering for the feast. And he wanted to be there. But he wasn't going to go in the ship even though he'd been up preaching and, and discipling all night, literally all night, 12 straight hours, how did, he, uh, how did he get to the next station? He walked. Why did he walk? Encounter lost people. He couldn't sleep, not if he's walking. And so he passionately um, experienced the presence of the Lord in evangelism by intentionally uh, putting himself uh, in a position to share with the lost. And here's the golden key. And you know your heart, I don't know your heart. I know mine to some degree. And when I'm cold, when I'm not passionate, the Lord reminds me relative to the lost. And so what are you to do? Repent uh, if you are a believer and, re and refocus because the fields are already 
prepared for harvest. A lot of sowing, a, a, a lot of watering has been going on and is going on. And it very well could be. In fact, it certainly is that God would use you, John 15, to bear fruit. And fruit that will remain. I was just talking uh, with Kathy uh, today uh, uh, about a husband and wife with whom I dealt many years ago. Uh, Both of them prayed the prayer, as it were, having heard the Romans road of salvation. Uh, One of them, to this day, a a committed walk with many, many years, committed walk with the Lord. The other one uh, uh, looked like, grew up a little bit, Matthew 13, the seed kind of sprouted a little bit. But the cares and concerns of the world uh, choked out the seed, uh, and the person now lives as a hellion. The point I'm making is there are those who will come across your path and mine. Paul didn't know all this was going to happen, but he positioned himself with a burden for the lost to be used of the Lord uh, in evangelism. When you do that, wow, you're experiencing the presence of God. You know it when God is on a witness. And maybe the person won't even get saved. But you will be able to detect the power, the boldness, and the burden that you have when you are witnessing to the lost. Red Bridger, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? Experiencing the presence of the Lord through corporate worship, edification, seeing God do amazing, miraculous things, using you, a fellowship, a shared walk together, and communicating the gospel to the lost. In all of those things, you are walking in the presence of the Lord. We see that in the first century. May we see that every day in one capacity or another like this. Uh, may we see that every day in our lives. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word and um, the exciting time that it was. My, what a night they had in Troas. Um, preaching, teaching theology, new converts. These aren't old in the Lord at all. <clears throat> and yet some of the heavy hitters dropped into town. Seemingly unannounced. Folks didn't know they were coming. And they gathered. And they were blessed. And they saw one rise from the dead. And much discipleship took place. And you recorded this in your word so that we may also see the value, the critical value, the priority of corporate worship, of edification through the preached word of you using your people in the work of the gospel to do amazing things, of the fellowship of building up one another, a a kindred spirit, and of sharing the gospel with the lost. Lord, use us. Cause our hearts to experience your presence moment by moment all our days. And we'll thank you, praise you, and will for all eternity. How good you are to us, Lord Jesus, in your blessed name. We do pray, and all God's people said, Amen.